Welcome in to a new podcast right here. This one is called Flying High, a Philly fan's perspective. Uh, my name is Pete, and I'm here with Justin. Say what's up, Justin. Hey, how you doing, everybody? All right, so this is going to be a new podcast. It's giving you everything Philly sports from the fan's perspective. Um, if you were with me a few weeks in the past, I've been running a little podcast called Wiz Wit. That is over. We are finally have co-hosts here. We're finally going to get two perspectives. They could be the same. They could be different, but it's all thing Philly sports. As per usual, kicking us in, Sandra Quest, this is Flying High. All right, before we start the first episode of Flying High, I'm going to quick give you a breaking news update with just hours left in the trade deadline. The birds came through clutch, Howie made a move, and Golden Tate was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles from the Detroit Lions in return. The Lions are going to be getting the Eagles' third-round draft pick of 2019. This really is a move that benefits both teams. The Eagles receive a clutch addition to offense that they really needed for the second half of this season. And the the Lions get that third round draft pick for 2019, so the Birds lose a draft pick next year. But should Golden Tate decide not to return because he will be a free agent at the end of the season and he is... Looking for more money than really the er- the birds can afford, I think he'll be leaving, going somewhere else. So this is a rent-a-player situation. The birds won't go home empty-handed. They'll receive a third-round compensatory draft pick in 2020. So essentially, what they're doing is they've given their 2019 third-round pick to the Lions for Golden Tate for this half of the season, and then Golden Tate will go off and get his money. The Birds will lose that pick this year, but really they're just trading that 2019 third-round pick for a 2020 third-round pick, and they get Golden Tate for this half of the season. Um, and his production is is an incredible addition to this team. Really, Golden Tate reminds me a lot of a Nelson Aguilar-type player. Um, obviously, he he's a, he's a much more advanced Nelson Aguilar-type player, more elite but he's running out of the slot. He's he's stretching the field, and it's really a great pickup for the Birds. He was a running back and a wide receiver at Notre Dame in his college days. So I think look for Doug to incorporate some creative play sets and play calls where Golden Tate's behind the line of scrimmage, whether it's a screen play or end of rounds. He, he's a bull He's got that you're not going to take me down mentality, so it really allows versatility in this Eagles offense. And uh, really cool stat from Next Gen Stats on Twitter: um, yards after catch. This uh, Golden Tate is a monster. Since 2016, he's first in the league in total yards after catch with 1528. That's 1528. And then there's some cool other statistics like yards after catch above expectation, which is really an unnecessary uh, stat just to give out more stats, but he's leading the league in that too. So you can flaunt that when your Dallas friends say, oh, Amari Cooper's still better. It's like, no, he's not. He's not at all. And if they want to taunt you anymore, you just pull up the stats from the September 30th matchup this season where the Cowboys lost 
And Golden Tate goes for eight receptions, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. So if we could see that kind of production coming out um, out, out of the bye, that would be incredible. But just looking at his stats throughout his career, since he was traded to Detroit, he has not had a season with less than 90 receptions. The man is a catch machine, so I look for Carson to target him a lot, especially with the number one corners going to be Garden Alshon and Garden Ertz. Tate's wide open. He can burn a second-level defender and stretch the entire field. Obviously, what does this mean for Nelson Aguilar? He's going to take a step back. He's going to be a secondary, secondary target. I, I'm not exactly certain how they're going to mix it up with Matthews, Aguilar, and then stretching Goddard back in there along with the rest of the receivers who are, you know, your Shelton Gibbons, your your back-end receivers who haven't really been getting any receptions anyways. But just an incredible pickup for the Birds. You can't ask for anything more. Um, like I said, Golden Tate reminds me a lot of Nelson Aguilar. And what I see is Aguilar is more of a greyhound where if you can get him the ball and he's in the open, he will sprint. He will out-sprint the defender. He can make the cut to, to juke him. You, we've seen an elusive spin move. But Golden Tate is more of your pit bull. He's a short guy, 5'10", built. He'll get you the same receptions, better hands than Nelson, so he's going to pull in more receptions. And then as soon as he makes that catch, he turns into a running back. So it's essentially like the Birds have traded for a hybrid running back receiver, and you can't really ask for more than that. That's kind of what they were looking for in Le'Veon Bell, and you get that without the attitude issues of Le'Veon Bell. Tate has the mindset where he's going to just grind, grind, grind. He's a dog. He's tough. He's been he's been missed. He's an underdog, really. At five foot ten, he's been counted out his whole life, and he's he's a fighter. And it's exactly what this team needs. He's going to get you about four to six touchdowns per season. I don't know if that'll go up more with Carson at the helm um, in the red zone, but just thinking about how this field is now stretched. You have Alshon, who can pull anything in. Ertz, he's like a hybrid tight end receiver, and he's going to get you his eight to ten catches per game. And then Golden Tate's in there to stretch the field, and we'll see where it goes, but awesome move on behalf of the birds today acquiring golden tate for a third round draft pick and they get that compensatory draft pick in 2020 should he decide to leave we'll see what's up with that um the bye week obviously is a great time for golden to uh get acclimated to the system learn the playbook go out and run a few routes with carson and just Exactly what we needed on this trade deadline. Um, Let me know your thoughts. Did you want a running back? Did you want a defender? I I would have liked to have seen a defender come over here as well. But you can't pick. You can't really ask for more than a Golden Tate type move. If you get him, you should be absolutely satisfied. And with that, I welcome Justin in. Uh, this was recorded last night, and then I quick did this hit because this was breaking news. But without further ado, the first episode of Flying High. All right, all right. We are here on Flying High. Um, if, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pete. 
diehard Philly sports fan, all different types of Philly sports. Of course, we had a big week this week with the Birds getting a win. Real quick, Justin, I want you to introduce yourself. Let us know about you. Well, thanks, Pete. I'm Justin Bonner. I'm currently a uh, Section 215 contributor, just like yourself. Uh, all things Philly sports, four for four guy. Uh, big on the big on the Flyers. Love the hockey. But uh, obviously, we had some great things going on in Philadelphia sports right now. So it's a great time to be a four for four guy. So I'm here to talk all things Philly sports with you, man. Heck yeah. And as Justin mentioned, we both contribute to the website Section 215. It's a fan sided. Uh, fan sided is a, um, a blog, a sports blog, and it has different segments for um, individual cities or individual types of sports. And we both write for the Philadelphia segment called Section 215. So be sure to go check that out on Facebook and Twitter. We're always. Um, putting our thoughts into words through articles and we actually met each other through that and now we're trying to get a little podcast going so we can talk back and forth about it and get two viewpoints so we're going to open up today with the Eagles they traveled to London and they beat those Jaguars Justin what, what are your first thoughts on the game well you know obviously good to get a win you know coming off of that Carolina game where you just felt like so, I don't know about you, but just so depressed after that, you know? Um, it, it was just such a letdown to lose that game in the fashion that they did. And so what you were looking for here, I mean, at least from my perspective, it was good to get a win. Um, I is one of those wins where you get it and you, you know, you don't feel great about it, but you got the win. Um, and you get out of there and you get into the bye now and you start to uh, look ahead to Dallas, uh, try to get healthy. Um, so there's there's a lot to unpack from that game, I think. Uh, I'm definitely happy that we got the win. I don't feel great about it. And obviously we're going to break it down a little bit, but um, that's kind of what where I'm at right now is, is I'm happy we got the win, but I'm hoping that the bye will allow them to fix some of the things that are still uh, ailing them. Yeah, I absolutely feel the same way. Um, especially coming out of that Carolina game. I mean, words cannot really describe the frustration and the anger out of that for it's like to this day, I still cannot believe that they blew that lead. And, and I know we should be able to let go of a loss and they got the win this week. So it should be easier to get over that. But something is just telling me that that loss against Carolina could really come back to bite them at the end of the year, you know. Um, but trying to keep it positive and think on the bright side, we got that win this week, 24-18, to 18, traveling into London. And I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to go into London and not have all of the travel and a week that was not technically a short week, but a 9.30 kickoff if they were in Philly. That makes it a little bit shorter and not to mention traveling to London on Thursday evening and coming right into practice on Friday. I was a little concerned that the jet lag would get to them, um, but they, they came out pretty much as strong as you can in that first quarter other than not finishing on offense. Um, so I think that's a good place to start. The offense looked good early, but they really didn't capitalize on their opportunities with two early turnovers. Um, first, Justin, if you just want to give me, wh wh what do you think about that first blindside uh, sack fumble with, with Wentz going on there? Oh, my, I mean, that first glance, 
Lance, you think, you know, okay, Carson, you're holding on to it a little bit too long. But, I mean, I really didn't – I really can't put that on Carson. Um, you know, he does have a lot of, of fumbles. And I think – and I don't have it right in front of me, but I think he's he's up to – is he up to seven right now? He's got – he's up there with, with turnovers. Yeah, he's, he's definitely – I don't have the exact number. I'll find that for us real quick. But he's definitely up there on turnovers on the season. So, I mean, the turnovers are obviously a concern with him, but I'm not about to jump on Carson Wentz. I just don't think that we can we can do that with how well he's playing. Yes, uh, you know, he had a hiccup uh, in that first quarter, um, the turnover, and then the, the you know, the, what was it? A, 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 he had a fumble. So, yeah, that was unfortunate. But, I mean, I can't tear down Carson Wentz when I look at how well he played in this game. He was really – he was probably the the reason why they won the game. Yeah, um, and just to confirm, he, that was his seventh fumble of the season. Um, my thought on that play was that Jason Peters kind of just got burnt on that blind side. And it's it's been a recurring issue um, – Throughout the season, really, is Jason Peters, you know, he is that all-pro future Hall of Fame left tackle, but he is just, uh, he, I don't think he's looking the same this year. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, you have to be concerned with him, right? He's in and out of the game at various times, and it's been multiple games. It's been like that where you see him jogging to the sideline and coming out. I mean, he's getting older, so I think we have to expect a little bit of that here and there, but... You know, he's, what, 36. Uh, you know, he's obviously at the end of a, a incredible Hall of Fame career. But you have to be a little bit concerned um, with how he's been coming in and out of the games. And especially yeah. with especially with Lane Johnson now dealing with injury, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the line because Carson did, he was pressured quite a bit in this game. And that's been a, a common theme, it seems, this whole season. Uh, whether Johnson has been healthy and, and Peters, obviously he's been in and out, getting old. Uh, they're just having trouble. Carson's under pressure a lot, so that really doesn't help a quarterback who is coming back from an injury. It, it, it hasn't looked to me that the hits have been affecting him, and obviously he has not been scared to run. Uh, he did a very good job of scrambling in this game, actually. Um, but... That offensive line has been just allowing a lot of pressure, and I believe that Big V is going to need to step up. Um, say Amalu's also, he's been playing a lot, and the two of them are going to have to step up in Lane Johnson's absence. It was announced that he has an MCL sprain, and that could be anywhere from two to four weeks. He could be out a whole month, so we're really going to need some productivity out of those backup linemen. Um, whether they can actually produce any sort of safety for Carson, I'm not certain, but otherwise he's going to keep fumbling and, and being pressured into those throws. Yeah, I mean, the last thing we want, and this is personally what I think he's trying to do too much, and I don't know if that is because he knows who's in front of him and he knows maybe Peters is hurt. I don't know. But the last thing we want is Carson Wentz going out there trying to be Superman because that's how he got hurt last year. And Carson Wentz is going to be Carson Wentz, and I love the player that he is. We all do, but we we definitely don't need him. You know, we don't need what happened last year to happen again. So, you know, I, I do wonder if he is trying to do too much out there. Absolutely, and and when you say he's trying to be Superman, are you saying that? 
uh, he's trying to be Superman by getting the extra yards on the ground or just in general trying to make too many big plays, whether it be through the air or on the ground? Uh, no, I, I don't. I can't knock him for trying to get those extra yards. I, I actually love that about a quarterback. I think perhaps sometimes he tries to hold the, onto the ball a little bit too long, um, trying to look for that perfect play, that perfect pass. Um you know, and we've seen instances where he, he needs to tuck the ball and put it away. And that's led to some of those those fumbles and turnovers uh, holding on to the ball a little bit too long. You know, again, I, I, and I'm sitting here, I, I can't knock Carson Wentz all that much. I mean, his numbers are awesome through this year. So it feels like we're nitpicking a little bit. I just, you know, I, I think he's doing, you know, as he's doing, he's doing just fine. But, you know, I, I again, I don't want him going out there and doing too much and getting hurt is my fear. Absolutely. And and just in this game in particular, he, he played very well. Again, 21 of 30, 286 yards, three touchdowns and one pick. And then he did go uh, six rushes for 28 yards. And I really thought in this game he showcased um, his field awareness and just knowing where that first down marker is and knowing how to scramble just far enough to get that first down. And, and he went down... He never really um, did the technical slide, but it seems like he's being a little more cautious when he is running and diving headfirst, but not the Superman dives that uh, he was showcasing early on in the season. Um, Also, four sacks were allowed, so that's that offensive line. I personally think that uh, the interception that came in the end zone was another uh, reason or it came on behalf of that poor offensive line. And there was a, I just think that Carson is trying to um, either be Superman or just force a pass in when he doesn't need to. And he could either throw it away or I don't know the other option, but there's just a few times where he's, he's trying to make that pass in a tight lane. And I think it's because of the pressure, but he had near two near picks last week, and then this week he threw the interception and had another one go right in the hands of a defender and out. So uh, do you think that that could be an issue going forward? Is Carson continuing to try and make those big plays when the, the guy's just not open? I think that's just who Carson is. And, and I mean, I, I saw a quote from Josh Perkins who it was actually kind of funny. He, you know, he said, uh, who, who had the interception? Jalen Ramsey. He was yeah. like, man, Jalen Ramsey just came out of nowhere. And I mean, and that's a great player. Uh, and so guys like that are going to make great plays. Was the ball a little bit, did he sky it a little bit? Yeah. He, he probably had a little bit too much loft on the ball. Um, it was a, it was a, it looked like it was a great ball when it left his hand. But then obviously when that interception happens, you know, you're like, ah, but you know, what's funny is that you go on Twitter after this game and you see all this, even from the beats, like just is Carson Wentz, you know, is he not the guy he was last year? And and I'm just like, I can't believe that we're even talking about that right now. Carson Wentz became the second QB in NFL history with at least 30 pass attempts and a passer rating of at least 115 in four consecutive games. Do you know who the other guy uh, was that did that? Uh, not off the top of my head. I do not. Peyton Manning in 2012 with Denver. Yeah, and that's a team that was dominant, and that is a name that you want to be associated with if you're a quarterback. You want to be associated with Peyton Manning. Um I I agree. You know, I think people are jumping on him too fast. And I I think something that he's experiencing this year is 
I want to say challenging games. I know that last year they were challenging games, but it seemed that they jumped out to early leads and the defense was so strong last year that he never really was in those tight situations. And this is just a case of a guy who was out for nine months with reconstructive knee surgery. Like people don't understand how fast he came back from an ACL tear. Like that is one of the, one of the most gruesome injuries you can endure. And the fact that he made it back after nine months of rehab and came right back into live game action without any preseason and is producing the type of results that he is, uh, there, we, we can't be questioning him. Uh, 100%. 100%. And, and you can't, you know, my dad always taught us the NFL not for long, right? It's, it's, exactly. it's, that, it's, it's so hard to repeat in the NFL. And so it almost made me nervous a little bit when we were coming into this year when everybody was like, repeat, repeat. And in the back of my head, I'm like, man, it, there's a reason why that this hasn't happened in, you know, since what, Denver did it in 98? Um, it just does, or did the Patriots, I'm sorry, didn't the Patriots yeah, those, do it? Yeah. The Patriots, Patriots did dynasty. it. So it, it's, it's, but still, it's still such a rare thing. I mean, you have to look at the fact that, you know, Doug Peterson was, was in his second year last year. Um, you know, you had Alshon Jeffrey for an entire year last year. Carson was healthy. Um, you know, the, they were, the offense was, was just better last year. They were, they were not blowing teams out, but they were scoring in the thirties, almost every game right now. They're, they're barely just scoring as much as they're letting up on, you know, defensively. So it's just a different team. And maybe going back to what you were saying, maybe that's why Carson feels like he's got to do more um, because they're not scoring as much. Um, they're just a different team. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's, they're going to have to eke out some of these games this year. And, Look, the division, it, we know what the division is. It's still there. It's there for us to take. And I, I think another thing that uh, could, it is in the back of Carson's mind, is that last year he's working with the three-headed absolute force of Ajay, Blunt, and Clements, the third back. Now we're looking at, I don't know where Clements gone in the past few weeks. I don't know if he's in the doghouse with the coaches or whatnot, but even with him, we're looking at a Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, Corey Clement trio, and they're just not producing the same results that the three did last year. No question. No question that that is something that's hurting them right now. And I, I don't know what the coaches think of Clement. Uh, I really don't because to me, he's an athletic, uh, good downhill runner. He can catch passes. Uh, I don't know why they're not using him, you know, on screens. I, I don't get it. I really don't. Um, he he did something, or or they 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 don't trust him. I, that's the only thing I can come up with right now because, you know, Smallwood is fine. Um, you know, he caught a nice pass and took it in, took it to the house for a touchdown yesterday. It was nice to see that. Um, I, I think Clement has the higher upside, uh, but so I don't know. You know, I listen. I couldn't tell you what Deuce Staley's rationale is for his running back rotation. Um, it's it's a little bit confusing to me at this point. It seems like they like Josh Adams. They used him, you know, quite a bit yesterday, and he's an interesting uh, guy. Tall runner, right? He's big. He he runs tall. Um, so he's a little bit unorthodox in that way. But you definitely, like you said, you miss that Ajay Blunt. 
Sproles combination that they had last year. And I just don't think that they've been able to reproduce that so far this year. Absolutely. Uh, I, I liked what I saw out of Josh Adams, but it's like, I don't know. Like you said, what is their thought process with him? He has not been utilized in the past three games more than like one or two carries. And then all of a sudden he's going to be their lead back this week. And my only thought with Clement is, see, I, I was a big proponent of Clement's the guy. He could be a lead back. And the only thing that I'm seeing now is possibly he really came out strong because he was riding behind Blunt and Ajay, so people weren't thinking about him when he came into the game. But the coach is just... Doug has not given a straight answer as to why we are seeing more of Smallwood and Adams over Clement when Clement's the guy who came through in the Super Bowl. And Clement shows that he's a, uh, he's a tough runner, but for some reason he is in the doghouse there. And we'll, we'll see in, in the upcoming weeks and in the bye, maybe he'll be able... He's had an injury, so he might... St- Do you think he's still limiting him because of those injuries? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I have the Eagles are so tight-lipped with their injuries, so I, I don't have any. He did have the. Did he have that quad injury? Right. Yeah, he had a quad injury. I think the Giants game was the first game that he was back from that. It could be that they're trying to ease him back in. I, I mean, they're not going to tell you if he is still nursing it, but it's definitely possible. Um, and it, but if he is healthy and they're not using him. I definitely have a question about that because you saw what he could do in the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't be trying to get the most out of a guy like that. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's up for debate and we'll see, like, like we said, we're going into the bye week. Perhaps if he is nursing an injury, this will be a time for him to really sit down, take a little break. Um, But I want to get onto the defensive half of the ball for, for a minute real quick. So we lost Barnett for the season going into this game. And it looks like it's going to be a nightmare without without our defensive pass rush. But in this game, I personally thought that Chris Long really stepped up. He had two sacks, and he was present on the defensive line throughout the whole game, um, kind of filling in where Barnett uh, was missing. So what were your thoughts on that defense? I mean, I think for the most part, you know, you have – the defense has been fine. Uh, you have – a really bad taste in your mouth from the Tennessee and Carolina games. So for a lot of fans, I think those two games are really kind of the, the ones that stick, you know, in your mind when you're thinking about this Eagles defense, when really it's performing at a level, you know, along the same lines of last year. And I know I put it in our, our outline here, but if you look at the points that this team has allowed through eight games this year, it is exactly the same number of points as they allowed through the first eight games last year, which is 149 points. So they're performing. They're really, they're all, they're not the same defense, but they're performing like it. I think, like I said earlier, it's going back to the fact that they're having to close out games where as last year, they, they really didn't have to do that. in a lot of those matchups, there was a couple of games like the Rams game. They had to close that out. Um, in the in the the game against Atlanta in the playoffs, they had to, they had came down to the very last play. So I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of those games this year, where it's coming down to the you know the, the last series. And in a couple of those games, the defense in Jim Schwartz's bend but don't break system it broke. So I think that's why the defense is getting a lot of the criticism. But I mean, yesterday they were mostly fine. Uh, I think a lot of people 
have a problem with how the secondary is playing, or at least how it appears it's playing. They give up a lot of underneath. Um, Jalen Mills hasn't been great. He obviously got hurt yesterday and it forced a little bit of a, uh, you know, having to rearrange the secondary. Um, that's just what Jim Schwartz's system is. It bends, it, you know, and you hope it doesn't break. Yeah. And for anybody who has not heard uh, a podcast of mine in the past, I am a strong um, hater of Jalen Mills. I really don't like what he brings to the table more, more because of his attitude than anything, because he really strikes me as somebody who, whenever he makes any sort of play that is remotely a good play, he's wagging fingers and offenders' faces and just showing off, and then he gets burnt on that double move time and time again. Um, but, you know, he, he shows some promise at some points, but uh, a guy that's really impressing me and impressed me in this game was Avante Maddox at the safety position. He had a really big force fumble that was kind of the turning point in the game, and he's originally a cornerback, but he's holding it down there at safety while McLeod's been out. Uh just a a real competitor that I think can be a, a strong component of this defense for years to come. Yeah, I liked what I saw out of Maddox yesterday. He was flying around the ball. Um, he was hustling, uh, you, you know, playing along Malcolm Jenkins. That's probably going to rub off on you a little bit. Yeah. But I, I really liked what I saw from the kid. You know, you're put into a position like that and asked to perform for, you know, in the place of a guy like McLeod, who's been a rock on this team. And uh, I just really like what I saw out of Maddox. I, I don't see a lot of fear in his play style. You know, he's a, he's a kid that's going to go out and, you know, he'll make mistakes. But, you know, he I like the aggressiveness that I saw from him yesterday. Absolutely. And then the last thought that I had on the defense, um, once again, on the defensive line, as we mentioned, Barnett's out, and it's just kind of felt depleted throughout the season. Uh, Chris Long came out strong, but something that I noticed in this game was it looks like Brandon Graham is he he looks sluggish or or some something is not right with him. He he's a little bit off. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's funny because it, it's it's almost. Did you even hear his name yesterday? Uh, no. I think the only time I noticed him was when he was slow getting burnt on a Bortle scramble. So yeah, there's a couple guys that you haven't like him, he and Nigel Bradham. I mean, where have these guys been? Yeah, the only the only Nigel Bradham we got was a, a interesting call on a hit to the quarterback where really I think he was just taunting Bortles, but other than that, absolutely nothing positive out of him. No, I mean, you're wondering where the heck this guy was last year who was possibly your defensive leader aside from Jenkins last year and he just seems like he's nowhere to be found out there. And, and yeah, Graham, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on there. He's, he doesn't seem to be in on a lot of the plays. Um, so I don't know if he is nursing an injury. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, it's, it's a concern. Definitely is that defensive line and linebacking core. That's him. And Jordan Hicks had a good game this past week, but he's another guy that's been having a few issues. So we'll, we'll see if the bye week is able to uh, help them fix any issues that they do have. And that leads us to like thoughts going into the bye week. Um, I'm going to throw out there the different trade options with the trade deadline coming tomorrow. Do you think they're going to make a move? You know, Howie, you can never doubt that guy. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's probably in on almost everything. Uh, you know, I'd have to think that he's been, he's placing calls and receiving a lot of calls. Um, I'd have to think that he's trying to get someone 
on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know. I just don't know what they're willing to part with. And I don't know, even myself as a fan, I don't know how comfortable I am letting go of uh, draft picks this year, especially since we don't know yet where this team is going. I think it would be different if we were, you know, undefeated five and, you know, six and two or six and one or something along those lines. Um, We're not, we're not in that position. So I don't know. I'd have to think that Howie's listening and looking at running backs, defensive players, that kind of thing. So tomorrow it's going to be interesting. It's interesting. We haven't heard anything yet, but they, they did just get back from London. Uh, So I don't know, man. I think tomorrow's going to be really interesting. No, I mean, I have to agree. And, you know, the bell cow running back, it's almost it's not a, it's not a dying breed, but there's so few of them. You know, there's so few of the Le'Veon Bells, the David Johnsons, those guys like that. And speaking of of, of Le'Veon Bell, uh, you know, that's that's just such a strange situation. I, I don't even know if I'd want it seems crazy to say that you wouldn't want Le'Veon Bell. But, you know, what what are you going to have to pay for a guy like that who's held out on his own team for 10 weeks and, you know, you don't even know if you're going to be able, you can't negotiate with the guy until he hits free agency. So it's, it's almost a situation. I don't even want any part of right now. I'm just, I'm willing to let the Steelers deal with that one. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that, especially the way that he's kind of screwed over his teammates. Um, The, there, there comes a point where the team is more important than you. And if you're willing to hold out for this long on teammates that you've, you know, you're supposed to be brothers. You're supposed to love each other to death and be willing to do anything for each other. And Le'Veon's been willing to sit out through eight weeks. Uh, That just, that's selfish. And I don't know if we need that kind of selfishness, no matter how talented you are. Absolutely. I mean, and can you imagine if he does go back? I mean, do you, if you're Mike Tomlin, what do you even do with that? Oh, you you keep James Conner, and, and that's what I would do. I mean, he's he's producing. Uh, he's a Pittsburgh kid, and he's a good teammate. Big Ben even said, "Like, I'm we're not going to give the ball to Le'Veon. He's not going to come back in and be Le'Veon Bell either when he's been out this long." You know, right? I mean, he hasn't played in ten weeks. I mean, no matter how good you are, I don't care. You can't not play. And and I'm a big you know I coach sport, high school sports. I'm a big team guy. You, you don't. 
it's like you said, you don't do that to your teammates. So, I mean, that's, that's not a guy I want on my team. And I know some people might, you know, knock me down for that comment, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to, I think there's, I put a lot on culture and locker room and I know some people don't, but I do, I put a lot into that stuff. And I think it, it's one of the biggest reasons why the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So, um, I don't think that's something you would want to bring into that room. Oh, I absolutely agree. He uh, he seems like the kind of guy that can't be swayed. Whereas, you know, Michael Bennett came in this season and people were questioning whether he was going to fit into this locker room. And for the most part, I mean, I haven't heard a peep out of him. And he's uh, Bennett's actually starting to play really, really well. So he's turning out he's turning out to be a great move. But I think that Le'Veon would come in and. No, no veteran leadership or anything could sway this guy from being a selfish kind of arrogant individual. I mean, yeah. I mean, how do, and, and then how do you trust him? Like, how do you, how do you go out there and say this guy's got my back? I don't think you could. No, absolutely. And the other, the other aspect of that is he's looking for a contract that's going to make him the highest paid running back in the history of the league. So the Eagles are out of the question after the year. So it's really just a rental situation and you don't really want to rent a cancerous situation like that. Having him, he's probably going to go sign with a team stupid enough to pay him as much as they want. And as an older running back in the league, he's got maybe three of his best years left ahead of him. So someone's going to lose out on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost certainly not worth it for us and you know, I'll pass. Absolutely. So my question to anybody listening out there, I want your fans perspective. Do you think that the Eagles need to make a move by tomorrow's deadline? So use the hashtag fan perspective. That's P-H-A-N perspective. Hashtag fan perspective. Um, If you check the notes in the uh, description, I will have we're going to get the social media and everything up running. But let us know. Do you think they need to make a move? I personally think that if they do go with the move, I still say defense is where they need to get somebody in the secondary, especially with Mills hurting his foot. I think uh, one more defender of sorts would be worth it. There's also been scuttlebutt of a Deshaun Jackson type or Deshaun Jackson move. I, I don't know if that can happen, but he would be he would be cool to stretch that offense and be a deep threat. I think a lot of people would like to see Deshaun Jackson back in an Eagles uniform and Honestly, I wouldn't hate it. Uh, you know, he, Deshaun Jackson is is going to be Deshaun Jackson. You know, he he's the same guy he was, um, you know, back before Chip Kelly caught him. I think what soured a lot of people on him was, was all the, the gang-related talk, which, you know, never really materialized. So it's almost like he got a bad rap from that. Um, you know, I used to have a problem with a lot of the showboating that he did. But listen, the guy's a, a heck of a receiver. Um, we absolutely 100% could use a burner. Um, so, I mean, if it was for the right price and didn't cost us uh, a high draft pick, you know, Hey, you want to, you want to Deshaun, you want to make something happen for a fourth round pick? Let's do it. Absolutely. I think if it's, if it's a fourth or a fifth rounder, um, it's definitely worth experimenting with, but we'll see where the Eagles go. And just quick looking at the rest of the NFC East, uh, the Cowboys were off with a bye this week. So they sat around and watched as the other two teams in the division uh, battled it out. It was Redskins, it was Giants, and the Redskins came out on top. It was 20 to 13. Ugh, ugh, man. I mean, the Giants are terrible. Uh, just, there's, there's really no way about, around it. 
Yeah, it's not. It's almost not even fair seeing that the Redskins had that as their opponent because the Giants at this point are an automatic win. They have Saquon, they have Odell, but aside from that, those two cannot carry this team. And to think they let Josh Rosen, you know, they, you know listen, Saquon Barkley is a generational talent. He is going to be an incredible running back in this league. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that they let some of those quarterbacks go first, it's just they have to be kicking themselves right now. There's no way they're not. Yeah, they're they're either kicking themselves or they are we're one hundred percent going into this season ready to rebuild. And I know the fans weren't thinking that and that's not the way they were portraying the season, but they had to have seen that Eli is just a washed up quarterback at best. I think maybe they do now, but honestly, man, I don't think that they did come into the season. I think they were looking at it like, ah, you know what, we got Eli. We're good, you know, he'll he'll give us one to two more years and it's like oof, that uh that looks really bad now. Yeah, yeah that, that one is hurting big, big time. time. So, so when we, we look, look at, at the, the NFC division at this point, the Redskins are leading at five and two. Birds sit in second place now at four and four. Cowboys sit at three and four, and the Giants are one and seven. Um, also to be noted, the Redskins have a little bit of an easy stretch coming up. The Falcons on Sunday, and then on the eleventh they play the Bucks. Uh, that's, that's all happening before the Eagles ever take a snap again, which is going to be on the 11th on Sunday night football against the Cowboys. That is a huge game. Uh, you, we have to have that. The Eagles absolutely have to have that game. And to be quite honest, I'm not that worried about it. Or, is it in Dallas? I mean, uh, I believe it is. Let me double check to make sure of that. But I'm pretty sure that this one was the away matchup. Um, oh, no, no, it's in Philly. Okay, so then I even have I have even less concern, especially coming out of a bye. Uh, I, I just don't think Dallas is very good. I think, you know, they're a notch above the Giants. Um, you know, they have Zeke Elliott and no one else. You know, I don't. You know, they, they've they've strung together you know a couple of, of of okay wins. They don't do anything that personally scares me. I I think that the Eagles have to go into that game and not shoot themselves in the foot. You have to get up on these guys. And you have to step on their throats. That's essentially what you have to do to win that game. And I think if they do that and the defense comes out and makes some good stops, Dak Prescott's not going to march 95 yards down the field on you and put up 20, 24 points. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, absolutely not. I don't think so either. And I'm, uh, you know, at first I was really disappointed about that Amari Cooper move. But now that I really think about it and I look at it, I just don't see Amari Cooper is not going to beat us. I don't think so either. I mean, you know, he's and I, and I actually wrote a piece about uh, or, or I contributed to a piece about that uh, uh, you know, about a week ago regarding that move. It is just silly that they paid a first round draft pick for him. But listen, I digress. He's a decent receiver. He's better than anybody that they have. Um, but, you know, he hasn't been the same since 20, the first two seasons, 2015, 2016. Uh, you know, where he was getting, you know, 130 receptions, uh, 1,100 yards. I mean, he hasn't been anywhere close to that. It's it's really not a surprise why John Gruden was so willing to get him off his team. Um, so does he make them better? Yes. Is he a guy that's going to st- stretch the field and, you know, burn us for two touchdowns? I mean, anything's possible, but, you know, I don't, I don't see that happening either. But he's definitely better than anybody they had. Yeah, he definitely, I was actually the other half of that um, piece on Section 215, and 
it was my first thought when I was watching highlights of I was watching highlights of him and I uh, stumbled upon him toasting Jalen Mills on two separate occasions and and that got me a little bit concerned but the more I thought about it it's like he's just not worth that first round pick I, I don't care what you say or not what you say but what anybody says oh, no yeah I, I'd have to agree and you know is is he gonna is he gonna test our secondary yeah I mean he's he's a decent receiver he's a good athlete so I mean you're gonna have to game plan for him 100 you have to game plan for him you have to game plan for Zeke and you and you're gonna have to have somebody spying on Dak Prescott so I mean they can't go into that game thinking they're gonna walk all over Dallas it's not gonna be like that and we're not I don't think that we're that team this year but if you're asking me if I'm scared of Dallas, the answer is no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that just closing out the Eagles talk here, I think that something that I saw this week was that this Eagle team has some fire in them. Um, I really think that the like I know they blew the game to the Titans, and there have been plenty of moments that you could call the wake-up call, but I really think that losing a 17 nothing lead in the fourth quarter at home was the wake-up call that this team needed. I hope so. I mean, that was by far the worst loss I have ever been a part of as a fan. Um, and I, so I can only imagine how those guys felt in that locker room. You know, and so part of me was, it's the only reason why I said in the beginning of this that um, it was a win that you, that you got, you're glad you got it, but you still didn't feel great about it because I was almost hoping they would come out and really just trash the Jaguars yesterday. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. It was a lot closer than a lot of us would have liked, but uh, sometimes you just need a win to get you back on the right track. And so hopefully that's what this was after a game like that, where you do give up, you know, 17 unanswered and just, you know, completely blow it. Um, sometimes you just need a win to get you back in the win column, refocus now, go into the bye. Hopefully it's it's what we need. I don't think all of our problems will be fixed over the bye, but it gives them a chance to really kind of refocus, get a little rest, um, and hopefully some guys can heal up. Absolutely. So the Philadelphia Eagles pick up the victory this week in London. Now they're flying home. They have the bye. Big Cowboys game in a week and a half, but they have a lot of time to recover from that. And if you haven't picked up from the first segment of this podcast, we are Eagles fans. And when it is Eagles season, this is an all Philly sports podcast, but the birds are the focus on Sundays. And we have a lot to talk about because they only have 16 games a year and then the playoffs, but we're going to focus on the birds while they're in season. Um, but we're now going to move on. Uh, I know Justin is huge on the Flyers. I have not been able to keep up with them as much as I want. But, Justin, what is going on with this Flyers team? Pete, I have one question for you. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, I would like to say we have all night, but I'm sure that we could go all night talking about this squad. It looks like they they just don't have what it takes right now. I mean, dropping three in a row, going into Anaheim tomorrow night. What, what's going on? Man, there is, uh, there's a lot going on with this team right now. Um, it's, you know, and I, I put out two scalding pieces recently, just, just because I was so frustrated watching this team. I, I'm a lifelong Flyers fan. I've been watching them for over 20 years on this planet. And, and I have never been more frustrated as a fan watching the slop that has been on the ice this season. They're four and seven. And I quite honestly, they're lucky to be four and seven. Um, 
you know, it's an 82 game season. So it's a, it, hockey is a long season, but when you're seeing this kind of production, this kind of effort or lack of effort this early in the season, it is absolutely alarming. And, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, firing the coach, firing the general manager, all the, I mean, this, this goes all the way to the top. There is no reason for this team to be performing this poorly, um, you know, this early in the season, when this is a year, they're supposed to take a step forward. They're supposed to be better. They added James Van Riemsdyk to come in and be that 30 goal scoring winger. They've got pieces on this team. It's not as if, as if they don't have talent. That's what's so mind boggling is that there is talent on this team. They're in, they're a close to a hundred point team last year. Claude Giroux scored 102 points. He was in the Hart trophy discussion. You got young players in this team. You have, a, you have a general manager that's committed to youth. And, you know, they finally started bringing up some of those pieces. Not everybody that, that, that most of the fans want, but you have some of those pieces that are starting to, to come up. And then this, it's just, they, they don't look like, they look like they don't know how to play hockey out there. I mean, it's bad. And if you tune in and you watch some of these games, you know, I don't like, and I said this in my article, I don't like to throw out there that, you know, the, the, the cliches of, well, they've quit on the coach or the coach has lost the room. But honestly, I don't know if I can continue to deny that anymore. And it's, it's very difficult, you would think, with such a team filled with all these young kids who are supposed to be the future of the Flyers. You, they would normally be the type of player who would pay attention and respect the coach more so than any veteran who is more experienced. So it's really concerning when you have a group of kids who have possibly quit on the coach. Is there, is there any saving this with, with coach Haxel? Like, is this what's gonna, is this gonna get better on his behalf? Or do you think that a firing is inevitable? Uh, it's not going to get much better to be honest. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and it listen, I was never a fan of Dave Haxel, um, when he was hired. Uh, I thought it was an out-of-the-box move. Uh, I sort of understood it because when Ron Hextall came here, uh, you know, his objective was to change the culture. You know, the Flyers had always been an organization that, you know, hired the former player as the coach, you know, and and brought in, it was the, it was the old boys network, right? And so, uh, and, and they were always in it. They were always a team that was willing to spend uh, and send away draft picks and, uh, you know, do all that stuff in order to stay relevant and stay in the hunt. And they always were. They were always a playoff team. Um, and Hextall came here and said, you know, what? we're going to change all that. And we are going to, you know, he said on day one, I like young players and I like draft picks. And what that basically signals was that, you know what? No more free agent spending, no more bringing in the old veteran guy and signing him to five years, it, it, you know, and that's what a lot of fans wanted to hear. But the problem with his plan is that it hasn't worked. I don't want to say it's failed, but it hasn't worked because they've largely been the same team for the last five years. They, they play a boring brand of hockey and, you know, they've been this just maddeningly inconsistent team that is just flirting with mediocrity and, you know, fans are at this point frustrated and they have every right to be. Now, do you think that that stems um, all the way from the coaching staff down or do you think that might be a case of 
I know the veterans who are on this team have been here for a while. You have your G, you have Simmons, you know, these guys who are veterans. Do you think that they're failing to make an impact on the younger players and, and they're in, incapable of being leaders to lead the team over the hump? I don't think it's a problem of leadership. No, I, I do think that it's a problem of coaching. Um, when you look at Dave Haxtell's system, uh, you know, he, he employs the, he employs this low to high system. So meaning that, you know, he, it, it's insistent on getting shots from the point from the defenseman. So it's, it's a perimeter offense basically. So, you know, and, but if you look at the teams that are doing very well in the NHL right now, you know, the Tampa Bay's, the, the Nashville Predators, those teams are teams that get creative with their offense and they bring their offense down to the low slot or behind the net where the probability of scoring is higher. And what Hackstall does with this perimeter system and insisting on getting shots from the point and, you know, it just, it, it doesn't work. Number one, it, it can get you, it can get you so far. Uh, I think you've seen um, the past couple of years that it can sustain some success. Um, but the, the maddening inconsistency comes back into play. You know, one year they lose 10 games, make the playoff. The other year they, they win 10 games and miss the playoffs. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy how inconsistent they are and they don't start games well. It's almost like they, they come out and they don't know how to play hockey for the first 20 minutes and then they have to play catch up. So to me, I think there has to be a question about, you know, some of the leadership. I, I don't like to question Claude Giroux because I think he's criminally underrated in the city and he gets no love from anybody. Um, but in my mind, this is a problem of coaching and this coach is unequipped, ill-equipped, I should say, to fix the, these problems. It's a, it, it's a big it's a big issue with coaching right now. And you have Ian LaPerriere coaching this penalty kill, which can't stop a beach ball. Um, it, it's just, it's frustrating, man. It, it, there's, I'm losing my words right now because of how, because of how frustrating it is. It's, um, it's not hockey, what we're watching right now. Uh, do, do injury, are injuries playing a factor at all? I know they, we got JVR and then he went right out and then lost Raffle for a while. Do you think uh, once, once those guys come back from injuries, we see a little more consistency? I mean, those injuries hurt, yes, but they're not the reason for why this team is performing so badly right now. And JVR played all four periods. So, I mean, you really didn't have a chance to see what kind of impact he was going to make. You're hoping that come into the year, he's going to, you know, give you 30 goals and, you know, 25 assists, something along those lines. But he only, he got hurt in the second, the first period of the second game. So his impact was never really even felt. And Ralph was a fourth liner. So, I mean, that production could be replaced. What's ailing this team right now is that I truly do think that that they've given up on this coach or they've quit. I, I hate to say that because they're professional athletes and you never want to believe that that athletes quit, you know, on their on their teammates and on their coach. But I do think that there comes a time when they stop listening and getting the message. And Dave Haxall is not really a guy who, to me, inspires a ton of confidence. He's not a guy that I want to go out and, you know, bleed for and, 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 you know, get slammed into the boards for, you know, he's, he's not a guy to me that get them out of this situation. So I don't, that's gotta be affecting them you know, mentally, it's got to be affecting them in some way, especially if they don't believe in the system that they're playing. If you're an, if you're an athlete, 
you have to believe in the system that you're playing, right? Absolutely. It's like anything in life, you know, if you are not 100% into what you're doing, if you're not totally sold on the concept or the belief behind it, then you cannot give your all. There's no possible way that you're going to give your all if you don't believe that the system's effective. Believe that the system's effective. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that this season can go in, in my eyes. I think there's some parallels that you can draw here um, from 09, right before they fired John Stevens and hired Peter Laviolette, and then they went on the cup run. Um, the team was badly underperforming at the time. They were 13-13-1 and one, um, in a year where, you know, they had just signed Chris Pronger. They were supposed to be one of the best teams in the league. Um, they were flirting with the, you know, the bottom of, of the division, and they made a change and brought in Peter Laviolette. Um, so I think that, and you also saw it with Pittsburgh, uh, when they fired Mike Johnston and then, you know, hired Mike Sullivan and they go on to win a cup. So, I mean, I think that there, there can be a change, especially this early on, they've only played 11 games. Um, but the problem is, is that Hextall inexplicably has tied himself to this guy. I, I honestly, man, I can't understand why or what the rationale is behind it, but it's his handpicked guy. And I just don't think, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to, wait until he's pushed to the absolute brink to fire this guy because ultimately it means admitting he made a mistake. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's an issue that that I, I will talk about also uh, when going over the Sixers, but it's it's almost like a uh, trying to save your pride and admit that you weren't wrong when in fact you absolutely were. And again, you know, I can't fault... Hextall for for trying to go out of the organization and and bring in a fresh perspective, but he has to admit that it didn't work. It didn't work, and we're now in in year five of a of a rebuild that has not produced anything. All that it's produced, all that it's given us is first round playoff exits and a bad one at that last year when they just got just destroyed by Pittsburgh last year. And so, what we were told coming into this year was that that was no longer acceptable and that that was going to change. And here we are four and seven, nothing has changed. And it almost looks like this season's about to go in the tank. So moving forward uh, with the season, where is there to go? What, what can turn this around? We have a game tomorrow in Anaheim and a stretch on the West coast. Is there any, anything that can turn this around in the short term or is it going to be a coaching move? The only thing that is possibly going to, bring this season success i personally believe that that you know if it was me i I would have parted ways with the coach this weekend after they come out and they get blown out by a a truly bad team in the islanders i mean that that should have told you something right there so the but the fact that they didn't tells you that hextall is not ready yet um and so Really, they, they don't really have a choice. They have to come out and, and get a couple wins on this road trip. Um, you, with hockey, you, you never know. You can get hot um, and you can ride a streak and, you know, so you can use that time to sort of fix some of the problems. Um, you, you know, the good thing about the sport of hockey is that, you know, it's a long season, like I said, and, you know, winning sometimes cures a lot of the things that can ail a team. So uh, it's not all the question that they can pull out of this. They've done it before. They're an inconsistent team. They go on long stretches of loss of losing and they go on stretches of winning. Um, so is this another stretch of just bad losing? It, it very well could be. I, I still have concerns about just truly how poorly they are playing. Um, 
So we got to see what happens tomorrow night in Anaheim. Absolutely. So the Flyers, just to update the standings, they are currently in second last in the Metropolitan Division, which is being led by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, nothing worse than having a poor season and then having the Penguins be successful. Uh, it's it's the worst thing ever. I mean, you know, and as a hockey fan, I, I appreciate the Penguins. I think they have a great coach, possibly the best coach in hockey and Mike Sullivan. Um, so I'm envious of that fact. Um, you know, and they have a, a GM who has made all the right moves uh, in Jim Rutherford. So, uh, you know, can't help but be envious. Like, do I hate them? Absolutely. I, I always will. Um, but if you're a hockey fan, and the Pittsburgh Penguins are on the TV. As long as you're not a Flyers fan, you're watching. Yeah, absolutely. So Flyers, Anaheim Ducks tomorrow, 10 p.m. Eastern. Then they go Thursday to L.A. to face the Kings. Got the Sharks on Saturday at 10.30. And then Phoenix in Phoenix at 9 o'clock on Monday. So that's going to be their Western road trip. We will see how they do. Only time can tell what's going to go on with this Flyers team. And the same can be said about a Philadelphia 76ers team. They're playing right now against the Atlanta Hawks, tied 47-47 at half. And once we're done recording this, I'll be sure to go catch the second half of that and um, see what's going on. But just recapping this past week for the 76ers, uh, it was it was a rough one, I'll tell you. They went out for a midweek Midwest road trip. Dropped a tough one, 133-132 to the Pistons. Then they go the next night and drop one to the Bucks, 123-108. They did pick up a win against Charlotte at home on Saturday night, but the Sixers are not looking um, relatively impressive right now. And the big thing that I took out of those games was defenses struggling versus the big-time players immensely. I mean... You look, they go into Detroit, Blake Griffin drops 50 on them, 14 boards and 6 assists. You think, all right, that's a fluke. I mean, Blake Griffin's been injury prone. He hasn't really been relevant for a while, but he's he's bringing this Pistons team back. 50 points, not acceptable whatsoever. Follow it up the next night against the Bucks. You have Giannis, the Greek freak, scares the crap out of me sometimes. I really think he's one of the best players in the league, really up and coming. And you think that we got Ben Simmons back. Ben missed the first game. So Joel, Ben, both in the game against Giannis, think we can at least contain him. Nah, he goes off for 32 with 18 boards and 10 assists. And he's throwing no-look assists over his head. It was just unbelievable how good he was playing. And when you're his size and with his ball-handling ability, it is tough to stop. And then against Charlotte, uh, Kemba Walker, he's, he's a stud, but... You have to be able to shut down the big player, and he goes off for 37. Um, They get the win, but three really disappointing showings against big-time players. Yeah, I think they've got problems on both sides of the ball right now. Um, You know, defensively, you look at the games that they've been in, you know, in the, the, you know, they they let up 130 ish against um the bucks they let up uh you know what was the what was the game against charlotte the other night that was 105 to 103 yeah um you know and then the you know the pistons game was up there too so you know it's like it'd be nice i want to see them hold the team to 90 points you know uh i don't i don't know what's going on there i know dario's had a slow start to the year um i know ben had you know was injured hurt for that one game i know that you're 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 waiting patiently to see what Fultz does. And he actually looked pretty good the other night. I, I was I was happy to, to – I know we're going to get to that, but I was happy to see uh, Fultz have a decent game. Yeah, defensively, they're, 
they're not there yet right now. And, I, and you know, basketball, we saw this team really hit their stride at the end of the year last year. And I think that's probably what's going to happen again this year. I think they're still a 50 win team. Um, but right now they're starting off a little slow. They're kind of just beating teams in war of attrition and, and losing some of those same game, games. So uh, I think that's kind of what we're just dealing with early on in the season. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it is just this team coming together and almost on the same lines as the Eagles, where they just need to know how to step on a team's throat, especially when they're at the Bucks. They jumped out to a big lead in that first quarter, and then they gave up a franchise record for the Bucks, 49 points in the second quarter. And you, you have to wonder, did they kind of clock out for that quarter? Um, obviously, the whole game matters. You think you jump out to that early lead and you can sit back. That's, that's just not how it's going to work in the NBA. And something that really concerns me is, Almost on the regular, there is 55 to 60 points that they are allowing in that first half. And if you ask, I know that the NBA is changing. The three-point is king and points are king. But you can't be giving up 60 per half. No, and and they're and I'm glad you brought up the three points because they are just they're getting shelled from the outside, and you know, and I know that that's kind of the new Steph Curry era of basketball in the NBA. But man, it just seems like they get every team is shooting insanely high on them from from outside no absolutely i mean when when uh brooke lopez goes off for like i think he had five or six threes it's just at some point you have to get out on the perimeter and get a hand up it seems that the the guys are just getting wide open shots i don't know if there's trouble with communication but they're just allowing wide open shots and a professional's gonna hit wide open shots Exactly. I mean, and they're not a slow team, you know, they, they, you know, other than Joel, I mean, they're, they're athletic. They have, you know, and Daria's not super fast either, but you know, you have, you have guys that should be able to cover the perimeter. You have Cove, you have JJ. I mean, you have Ben, I mean, those defaults, those guys should be able to get out there. Absolutely. And, and it's a good transition into, um, Kind of the J.J. Redick, Markel Fultz talk. I know it's two completely different, separate topics. But there was a starting controversy right from the get-go, and it was should J.J. Redick be in the starting five or should Fultz be in the starting five? And um, early on, Redick's thriving off the bench. I mean, it's a good way to get a little bit of production off your bench. Uh, He dropped 30 in that Detroit game and then had 19 and 15 in the next two games. But I think that J.J. Redick, more than his points and his production on the floor, um, he's leading this team and showing that he is that veteran leader and that he he knows he's on the way out. He's got just a few years left, and he really wants to bring home a ring to kind of crown. He's been to the playoffs every year, but he's never won that coveted NBA Finals ring. So I think he's really trying to pull this team together, and there's a lot of different personalities on the squad but he's doing a great job of leading these younger players. Absolutely. I mean, you have to love what he's doing right now. I mean, I, I, I love watching JJ Redick play basketball right now. And I want listen, I want him in a Sixers uniform for another couple of years. Honestly, I, I think he, what he did the other night in that, in that overtime loss was to Orlando. Uh, I believe that was the Detroit game where he hit the four, the four point play. Yeah. I mean, oh, he oh was my. all over the court. I mean, and, and you could tell he loves playing in a Sixers uniform. Um, so, you know, right now, I don't see why you wouldn't 
start him. I don't know why he wouldn't be starting every game. And I understand you got to get Fultz out there. Fultz is going to play. Uh, you know, I don't think you have to force him to start. I, I, I think, you know, I like what JJ's doing right now. I think he's earned it. Unfortunately, that's not up to us. It's up to Brett. Exactly. And for me, I almost see it as the Sixers organization, whether it be Brett or the higher ups, who are just like the Flyers. They're not willing to admit that they screwed up on a decision. And whether, p- picking the picking Fultz may have been the right decision, but at number one overall, absolutely not, if you ask me. And I know he's still a kid, and this is still his first healthy season, but what he's showing me on the court is just somebody who is turning the ball over too much. He's not playing great defense. And he looks a little bit flustered out there. He looks almost like he presses when he gets the ball now, which is confusing to me because he is starting. So he should be feeling confident that the team is all in on him. But it appears that every time he gets the ball, he feels pressured to make that big play. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. And, and, and look, it's obviously made worse by the fact that, you know, Tatum's doing so well in Boston, right? I mean, Absolutely. I, obviously the optics aren't great on that alone. So, I mean, you know, we've got, you know, Boston has Tatum who, and it looks like they've got a team that is just going to dominate for the next, I don't know, decade. Um, So, you know, and we're still trying to figure out what Fultz is. So, and, and I think, yeah, he's probably out there pressing a little bit, Uh, but I, I have seen, I did think he played a little looser the other night, which was good to see. I think if he continues to play, uh, loose with that he, he's getting aggressive more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball which i really like that leads to offensive t- opportunities so uh, you know i think he has to play like that washington kid that he was when when he got drafted before this mysterious injury happened to him and before all this crazy mental stuff happened to him whatever whatever it was that happened he just needs to get back to being that kid and you see you see a little bit of it in spurts when he's out there you know he'll He'll drive hard in for a rebound and create create an opportunity. Um, so, I mean, I think he just needs to continue to do that. It's not, unfortunately, it's not his fault. He doesn't know where he's going to be playing, uh, you know, with, with that whole Ben situation. He and Ben, you know, it, it's not a traditional situation. So, you know, he's got to work with that. Um, but the hope there is, is that Brett, you, you know, does a good job putting him in positions to be successful. Yeah, absolutely, and and it is really a puzzling situation trying to put Fultz at the shooting guard um, when it it appears to me that he's thriving more when he's in that point guard situation. I mean, when he played um, in the Detroit game, uh, Ben was out with the back injury. He goes for 13 points and has uh, six rebounds and assists, and then the next two games, he dishes out four assists, so I think he feels comfortable more so handling the ball and, and having the whole game in his control where he can be a shooter and he can score. He appears to have his shot back um, compared to what it was last year, at least. But it's really tough to take a kid who is a point guard at heart and um, kind of the main guy and then throw him off to the side, whereas J.J. Redick absolutely thrives off just coming off screens and firing up three-pointers. And and Ben is is so good at driving to the lane and then kicking out to a wide-open three-point shooter. And that's really what the Sixers are missing right now is a consistent three-point shooter aside from J.J. Redick. Right, and and you brought up an, a good point. It's kind of something that drives me crazy about Ben. And, and it, I think when it's working, it, it really works. Like you said, he drives in um, and he makes that move and kicks it out high to, to, to you know Covington or to, you know, to, to uh, J.J. for the three-pointer. 
the only problem is, is that drives me crazy when I think the bank could just take it in and either get a foul or, or, or get a layup. Um, you know, so, so I'm still waiting for, I don't know if he's being coached to do that, but I'm still kind of waiting for Ben to either you become a little bit more of a shooter or, you know, I, I want to see him get in there and get dirty and fight for a basket. I don't know if he's that kind of player, but you know, when, when he does do that, he goes in and drives and kicks it out high. And then, you know, we keep missing those threes, which we haven't been a great three shooting three point shooting team so far this year. But like I said, it's still early, but you know, that, that has been kind of something that's been, I think kind of bothering me about Ben's game a little bit. I'd like to see him kind of change that. I don't know if it's going to change. I don't know if he's being coached to change that. Probably not. But I think we all were coming into this year hoping that Ben, what we were told this summer, he was shooting more. So um, the fact that we haven't really seen Ben do a whole lot of shooting, he still seems largely like the player he was last year. I mean, it concerns me just more than you can imagine that you don't see him pull up for a shot outside of the the elbow and even from the elbow his shot is just not effective it's not going in at at the six foot 11 frame that he is he can dominate his defender and just take it to the hole and slam it home so I would like to see him be more aggressive he already is aggressive when he takes it to the hole but I mean he can take over games without having to dish it off and and rely on someone else to finish if he's got a one-on-one matchup, I think that nine times out of ten, Ben wins that matchup. Yeah, and I think you saw that in the Miami series last year, um, where you know he would he would just run it up and down the court, and you know Miami didn't really have a way of stopping that. But then you get to Boston, and they they're a great perimeter defense team, and he just it just didn't work. So I mean that. So to me, I guess it sort of feels like it's it's going to work for so long until you get to a team that can really defend it. Absolutely. Yep. Boston showed us that real quickly. So I'm going to just close out uh, this episode. The last thing I want to say about the Sixers is their bench production. You know, you had that controversy or concern with JJ and Fultz, but aside from those six, uh, we really haven't seen much production out of that bench. Uh, 21 points against Detroit, 17 against the Bucks, and then just 10 against the Hornets. Uh, Lantry Shamit was... They were talking about having him be a real contributor to this team, and, and I think he still can be a real contributor to the team, but he hasn't really shown me in the regular season that he's got what it takes this season. Yeah, I got to see more from Shamit, and you're definitely missing guys like Ersan Ilisova. You're missing guys like Marco Bellinelli um, who could come out, and you know Marco was good at sh- shooting the threes. And Ersan shooting, you haven't really pre- replaced either of the, you know, have the production from either of those two guys. Uh, Shamit, I think can be, you know, a, a nice little shooting, uh, player. Um, but we haven't, you know, we've seen it in spurts. We haven't really seen it to any, um, you know, kind of big degree yet. And he's also hasn't been used a whole lot either. Um, you know, I've also got like Furcon Korkmaz, who's kind of just toiling away on the bench and, you know, you don't really know what he is either. So yeah, I would have to agree the bench is not as deep as it was last year. It's a concern. I would have to think that it's going to be something that they'll try to address, um, you know, before a playoff run. Uh, We just kind of have to, we're in wait and see mode with that. Yeah, and it's early on in the season, and I agree that they're, you know, that Bellinelli move and the Ilisova move last season was, those are the type of moves that they're not um, headline grabbing, but it turned, they turned, the two of them, 
were really the game changers and, and turned that season around. So if they could find a Bellinelli-type um, veteran mindset who can shoot, who can help coach these younger guys. And I think J.J. Reddick's doing a good job. I actually wrote a piece on Section 2 on 5 about um, J.J. Reddick's a great person for Shamit to just watch and soak up everything that he can so that he can become the next version of J.J. with more athleticism and more ability to drive. Um, until then, though, this Sixer team... Keep grinding. Uh, we've seen really good moments out of the team, and then we've seen some moments that make us scratch our heads. But that's why the season is not six games long. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely got a ways to go. But, I mean, you know, we haven't seen anything that's that should lead us to believe that they won't be – you know, a 45 to 50 win team uh, next year, especially with the Cavs absolutely decimated, just fired Tyrone Lou. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really, it's the Sixers and the Celtics. I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that we won't be the second best team at a conference. I think you got the, you have Toronto as well, but, and they're playing well, Kawhi's playing really well. So, you know, top three team. Absolutely. It, it comes down to that where they'll figure They'll figure out what they need to figure out as they go. That's why it's the long season. Um, So this has been the first episode of Flying High Philadelphia Fans Perspective. Uh, Like I said, we will have more segments next time. I know I normally touch on Temple football. They had a bye this week. Humongous, humongous game coming up Thursday night at UCF, who's ranked number 10. I can't wait to see what happens. I know that it's a long shot, but I think Russo and the boys can go in there and wreak some absolute havoc. And then we'll keep you updated on where those Temple pros are at. I know you have you there usually week by week telling you how they're doing. We'll get back to the Temple pros. I'll get back to Minute to Win It, where we'll keep you updated on what's going on around the sports world outside of Philadelphia. That's right. There is a sports world outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, I you might forget that sometimes because Flyers, Sixers, Eagles, Phillies, all that matters. All that matters. Real quickly before we go, I want to share a memory of mine. Uh, Ten years ago, today I was um, I was a seventh grader, and I had never experienced a championship in my life. And I sat in my living room with my grandmother and my grandfather and brother and sister, and we listened to Joe Buck make that last call, and I will never forget it. Brad Lidge drops to his knees. Phillies win. The World Series. You're gonna make me tear up, man. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, I was is. in. Uh, I I was a junior in college at Penn State, I think. So I, I man, and I still hear that. You still hear that clip of Harry K today, and if you don't shed a tear, uh, you're not. I don't know. I, I question you. No, my the the hair on my arms are literally just standing up thinking about that, and and th- this Eagles Super Bowl was humongous, and. I'm sure most people would say it very much um, out, out did, I guess would be the right word. Just It was bigger than the Phillies victory, but I don't know. There's just something about that Phillies World Series win. It was like it brought so much relief to a city that was so frustrated for so many years. And I will forever thank them. And, and I don't know if the Phillies are ever going to have that type of – I mean, they might in the future, but I mean with this squad that they have right now, when you look at that lineup from top to bottom, from Ryan Howard to Chase Utley to Jimmy Rollins, just the three of them were homegrown homegrown talent. I don't know if there's that kind of elite, special group 
on this Phillies team? Man, it's an all-time team. It's an all-time team. There's no doubt about it. And and you know, you and I will get into the Phillies um, at some point because it was a it was a really fun summer of baseball. Um, but yeah, the, I don't I don't know if I, I honestly don't know if they'll ever be able to stack up to that team. That team was the team was incredible, and they, those guys will never buy a drink in the city again. Absolutely not. This has been Flying High. I've been Pete, and that's been Justin. We're signing off tonight. Thank you so much. Send request. Send us out. So tell me what-